Welcome to the Elevate Your Event podcast, where we talk about how to plan and execute an unforgettable event that will dazzle your guests and generate more income for your organization. From fundraising and securing trendy auction items to event production and logistics, get the best tips and advice from seasoned fundraising and event professionals who have been in your shoes. Welcome back to the Elevate Your Event podcast, where we talk about all the various ways you can make your next fundraising event better. And we've got a fun cast for you today. We've got a very special guest. We have Tiffany Allen in the studio from Boss on a Budget. And before we get to Tiffany, I want to introduce one of our most esteemed handbid colleagues here. One and only Inga Weiss. Inga Weiss. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, and I'm Jeff Porter, CEO of Handbid, and Inga and I are we have the pleasure of chatting with Tiffany. And so, uh, Tiffany, I want to turn it over to you. Why don't you go ahead and talk about what Boss on a Budget is, what you guys do. And I'm super curious to know how you got started with that name as well. Me too. I want to know. Sure. <laughs> so thank you for having me, first of all. And so what we do at Boston a Budget is help people start their nonprofits and raise startup money. It's just that simple but it gets complicated in the startup journey, as you probably know. And the reason why I chose Boston a Budget is because I literally was thinking of like how people can own their roles as like the founder of the organization as a CEO. But I went to help people who didn't have all the financial resources. So sure. I was like, what are the words that I could put together to relate to people like that? So I came up with Boston a Budget and it really has come true. I really do speak to people who don't have a lot of financial resources, but have a really powerful mission. And I help them like tap into their story so they can launch successfully. That's awesome. And so are you chatting with them like after they've gotten their 501c3 designation? Or are you helping with that process at all? Or It's before. It's people who have an idea and they're like, I've always wanted to do something. What should I do? Is nonprofit really the route for me? So it's people at that end, but then it's all the way to you know, people who have launched, but they don't know what to do next. Yeah. Like they have their 501c3 status, but they're so confused about how to become full time with their nonprofit, all of that. I do help people with the startup process with getting their paperwork together because that's confusing too. Uh -huh. So I like to say that I work with like the, the ideation phase all the way up to like three to five years after launch. That's awesome. And that is such a vulnerable time for charities, you know, as they're trying to figure out what we want to do. And I remember back when we, we started our charity in 2004 and, um, you know, I had some experience with, uh, you know, I have a, I have a business degree. So, you know, I, I obviously know how to kind of fill out paperwork, but I tell you, it's still confusing. I tell you the federal government is amazing at confusing people. Yeah. So it's their yeah. job to make it difficult. It really is. You know? So anyway, I got that 1023 filled out, but like anybody else, I mean, we, we knew, like, okay, we're building a charity that's going to support this disorder, but we still didn't know how to do all of the stuff up front, you know? Yeah. It was kind of like, so what are we going to do now? Now we're a 501c3. We have a corporation. We have a bank account, right? But That's all you yeah. need. But what's right? next? <laughs> that's this is where question. Tiffany comes in, right? <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it's people have a, they have a thought in their head of like, I want to go solve this problem. Right. But mm -hmm. I would imagine that what you've got to do then is help them understand, like, here's how you can go solve that problem. And then here's mm -hmm. how you're going to get the resources into your organization to accomplish that. Right. Yeah. Like the interesting thing is a lot of people are mostly clear. Most people are clear how they want to solve the problem. 
But their issue is like understanding that they have to build an organization around it. Mm -hmm. And that especially as the founder, a lot of what you do isn't doing the work or you can't concentrate only on that. Because if you only concentrate on that, you won't have the financial resources to continue. Because there are so many people who like pay for things out of their pockets and they get burnt out Mm -hmm. because they're not focusing on like, what's your strategic plan? What's your fundraising plan? Do you have a budget? Because they don't even know how to do that stuff. So it's like they have this realization through the startup phase, like, wait a minute, I have to actually lead an organization. It's not about me like giving back to the community only. I have to actually like deal with the IRS and deal with bylaws and policies and all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> yes. it's a I, lot. I know. We all love bylaws. <laughs> yeah. Powerful. <laughs> For sure. Um, so, okay. So you're, you're chatting with a charity. They've set up their organization. And now I, w- I would think like from a strategic standpoint, you're helping them kind of put together like a set, what, what, like a set of priorities or something like this is how you're going to accomplish these things and giving, helping them kind of establish a time frame for getting that done or. You know, yeah. where, do you, where do you start with an organization who comes and finds you? I tend to tell people focus on, because I have like a startup workbook that covers a lot of the different areas. But the main areas is first, like identify your strategic goals. What do you want to accomplish in a year? But also think about what do you look like in year five? What do you look like in year 20? Because people don't even think that far ahead. So based on where you want to go, what's going to move the needle in this immediate year? So I work on people with goals and then that translates into their budget because a lot of people don't realize that their budget is just their goals and numbers. So when I I ask them, like, what's your budget? Most people say, I don't know. Like, what is that? I don't know how to put that together. I don't have money in the bank. So why would I have a budget? (laughs) So it's like me helping them figure out your goals align with your budget and then your fundraising plan. Like, how are you going to raise the money? to meet your expenses. And then the other piece of that is like your marketing and visibility because it's so important as a new organization to show like your impact and show like, and to become more visible. And a lot of people think you can't show like potential impact because you're super new, but you can. I've helped organizations launch and raise, you know, six figures and they haven't done anything yet. So it's really important to focus on your like visibility in the media and social media and things like that as well. Now that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, and I think we've even, or I've even seen organizations struggle with messaging and they've been Mm -hmm. around a long time and it's like, Mm. you know, Hey, you could really take this to a new level if you could really start to better describe not just what you do, but like what the impact of what you do, like, and and where that dollar is going to go, you know, kind of thing. So, so you talked about, okay, so you, you work on a budget and obviously it's like, okay, we're going to go do whatever this is. We're going to, you know, we're going to mentor kids or we're going to, you know, pr- you know, protect and help the homeless or battered women or whatever. Like somebody has a cause or after, and you're starting to put that budget together of these are the things that you're going to go do to execute on your mission. And this is what it's going to cost. And now you say, okay, so what's the fundraising plan? How am I going to raise the dollars to accomplish that, where do most of your clients start? If they, I mean, if they have no experience raising money, where do you ask them to start in terms of fundraising? I can talk about where I ask them to start, and I can <laughs> talk about where they tend to go. Okay. So, <laughs> I can talk first about, I, I have like a little framework. It's the GIF framework, G-I-F. And I tell people, focus on grants, but small local community grants, Mm -hmm. not the major like $100,000 grants first. And then I for individuals. So build up your donor base and get a a list of supporters who want to give 
And then F stands for fee for service or earned income. So like to be sustainable, you need some kind of earned income source where you're selling a product or a service. So I try to tell people to focus on those areas, but start with the GNI first. And most people that I encounter go right to the grants, government grants, or events. Events. <laughs> Everybody knows how to throw a party. Yeah. You know, it's interesting right. you mentioned grants. And now, do you recommend that they bring in or use a skilled grant writer when they're applying for these? Then <laughs> you're going to get me in trouble. Um, no, I don't really recommend a grant writer in the beginning because a lot of people don't have the resources to invest. And when you're a new organization, you got to get your momentum going writing grants. And a lot of times you're going to hear no in the beginning. And so people feel, sometimes they feel scammed by grant writers, which is not always the case because they, they're like, I paid all this money and I didn't win. Right. Not realizing, well, you don't, I don't have like outcomes. You don't have like your financial statements together. You're not organized. And that's part of the reason why you didn't win. Right. And then sometimes you don't win because it's nothing to do with you. It's the grant funder. It's just their decision-making process. So like investing in a grant writer so early when you're still new and figuring things out, I don't think is a wise move. So I try to empower people to write their own grants because it is possible, right? Yeah. So are you, you editing know. them? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I teach them how to do it. <laughs> I stay far away. Yeah. No, I hear you. And I'm I'm sure at some point AI is gonna have a bigger role in, in grant writing and it's gonna help some of these oh, folks. Yeah. But yeah, because we looked at that stuff too, right? And like I said, I mean, in the beginning, like for us with our charity, it's like, okay. It's Prader-Willi Syndrome Association of Colorado. Like, we're just going to help people with Prader-Willi Syndrome in the in the Rocky Mountain region. Well, what does that look like? If we started to put mm-hmm. this together, and then it's like, well, are there any grants that would like actually a, like we would qualify for? And so we did a big research project and looked and found some. And and it, I agree that it, to, it totally works. Ironically, we did we did not do the F part of the, of the GIF. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we should have. Right. Mm-hmm. But we went right into events. Right. Mm-hmm. Because it's just, to your point, it was something that everybody can easily fall back onto. I think it's a way to, to definitely drive the I in your acronym. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, yes. I can bring individuals in, I can start to build a relationship with them. I can start to, you know, communicate to them, Hey, we built this charity and this is what we want to go do. So all of mm-hmm. that, I mean, seemed to make sense to us. But man, events are hard. Are they not? They are hard. And people get, I guess, they love the idea of having a party, but they forget that there's a purpose behind the party. And that's where people get hung up. Yeah. So do you help your clients with events? I advise people on events, but I don't necessarily like throw on events. I'm more like mm-hmm. in a teaching role and like a consultant role. But a lot of my clients they have like coming out parties. They'll do like launch events. So a lot of them do focus on that. Mm-hmm. Now, is this, an, is this a strategy that you feel like from an event perspective, do you feel like events become part of a comprehensive donor development strategy that you, you encourage your clients to hang on to as they grow? I think if used the right way, it should. Right. Because they're all different types of events. And so you can have people doing events in their home, small like friends giving or like friend fundraisers and things like that. And then you can have the full scale galas or, you know, prayer breakfast or whatever people choose to do. So it can absolutely tie into the eye. But the problem is most people 
get caught up in running the event and then they don't collect contact information. They don't foster a relationship with the people in the event. They're not really focusing on the mission. They're not focusing on why they're starting. They're just focusing on the event, like literally making sure it's successful, but there's no purpose behind it. So I do think events, they're a powerful tool, but they're often misused, especially in the beginning because people get so caught up. Right. And just well, running apart. Isn't it crazy? I mean, we run into this a lot. And, yep. and it's funny because what you're bringing up, we talk to our clients a lot about, which is one of the key, I would say, benefits or you know, strategies around events is to either initiate or grow a relationship with an individual donor. Okay? Mm-hmm. So initiate. They're there for the first time. Right. Or grow, they're coming back or they're already a, an existing donor and you've invited them into this event. And it absolutely blows me away when, you know, people don't collect the right information when you walk in the yeah. door. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we see all the time how organizations and event managers are like, well, I don't want to ask my donors and my guests for their email. I don't want to ask for their phone number. I want them to come in and have a great time. And they completely forget what is the purpose of this event. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's good that you say that because I think for us, it's, that's something as we're coaching and helping and training these nonprofits around a comprehensive fundraising, obviously we live mostly in the event side of that, Mm -hmm. but it is a powerful tool, but it's only a powerful tool if you do certain things at that event, which is collect their information and then afterwards, well, collect their information and then at the event, use that opportunity to market yourself and show the impact of your dollars yes. and then follow up by actually thanking them. Like, yes. How are you going to follow up? How are you going to retain yes. this donor that you yes. just found? And we, I, you, yes. crack, <laughs> it cracks me up. It shouldn't, it should sadden me, right? That we go to some of these events and at the very end, when they refuse to collect any information, mm-hmm. oh, they're not going to give us their email or, oh, they're all celebrities and you know, they yeah. still want a receipt, you know? Mm-hmm. And they'll say, well, how are we supposed to reach all these people to, to give them their items from the auction? I'm like, well, maybe you should have actually collected their email and phone number. Something. <laughs> Otherwise, you're sending a pigeon. (laughs) Right. Right. I like to tell people, I like to make it simple. So think about before, during, and after. What are the ways you're going to nurture and like prep them and prime them before the event? Mm -hmm. You you should be talking to them before. And then during, what are you doing to further a relationship? And like you said, like show your impact or the impact that you plan to make if you're new. And then after, what are you going to do to thank them? And continue that relationship because it's not just about thanking. It's then after you're still communicating your impact to be top of mind. And I try to do it in that way. So when they're planning, they're thinking about the after before the event even happens. So they don't get exhausted by the time the event is over. I know everybody gets into this like, you know, kind of in the weeds, like, you know, five foot off the ground, you know, kind of mode. And they're not thinking Mm -hmm. a bigger picture. So it's nice they have you, right, to sit there and remind them, hey, there's – you need to think a little bit more long-term besides just Saturday at 11 p.m. when your event's over. Right, right. <laughs> and you can breathe and have a glass of wine finally. Or right. Sunday, Sunday morning when you get on your knees in front of the altar at church and thank God yeah. that you made it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, then what? Yeah, yeah, and then what? <laughs> Tiffany, I want to – I'm so sorry. Yeah. I want to piggyback on that really quick and just see mm-hmm. if organizations having their first fundraising event ever – now they're planning this big gala, their first event ever. What tips would you give this organization for the first event ever? 
one of the first things I talk to them about is like, what is the goal of the event? Because if you're inviting people and they don't really know about your organization and the first time they're hearing about what you do is at the event, they may not give in that moment, right? They may need more time to be able to feel comfortable investing in your organization. So like, how have you planned for that? So is the goal really to raise money or is the goal to build more supporters, right? Like build your your email mm-hmm. list and think about that first. So how many people do you want to get on your email list or how much money do you want to raise? Have your goal set in stone first and that, let your activities flow from that. And that can kind of help like pre- prevent you from getting into the rut of, I'm just throwing a great event and it was so good because so many people showed up and then you have nothing to show for it. So I always tell people like have a goal. And then if you're going to raise money, like tell people that. Because the other thing I see is that people get so caught up in having a party, they don't tell people it's a fundraiser. So people are not there prepared to give or the type of people that they invite are not, like they may not give at events. That's not culturally what they do. Like they're not used to going to auctions or used to sit down dinners or things like that where they give in the moment and they're asking people to do something that they don't typically do. So if you know you're going to ask people, make sure they're, they're aware that they're prepared for something like that. And I tell people, start calling folks, like use your network, have personal relationships with the people before they come into the room so that when they're there, you can continue that line all the way through. So those are a couple of things that I would suggest, at least in the planning part, to try to have a successful event and temper your expectations. Right. Some people like we're going to raise one hundred thousand dollars or, you know, some people may think. They're raising a lot of money, but you're not, you're not going to raise that much of your first event in most circumstances unless you've done a lot of work. But that's okay. Like that's your first opportunity to to learn people, to make relationships, and then you can further that, and then you will get to the hundred k after that. But you may not do it in that event. Right. Was well, great? I like the fact that what you're saying is like you have to be kind of out front and bold with mm-hmm. what expectations you're setting, not just with your team and your staff or your board, but also with your donors that this is a fundraiser, you know, and, and we, we need your help. Like we need your participation tonight or this mm-hmm. weekend or whenever it is. And, you know, we need you to, to come in and we need to tap into your generosity because these are the ambitious things that we have to go accomplish this year. And I've seen that work really, really well. I actually saw it work recently and I was standing in the room and, you know, basically I think the theme of the event was called like, you know, something about go for the gold or something like that. And they're like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they basically said, we're going for your gold. You know, I just want everybody oh. in this room, we are going for your gold. Okay. So you get ready because here it comes, right? Don't, don't be shocked when I ask you to raise, a, raise your hand in the air because I'm going to. Right. Take take those rings off. We'll take those and as well. <laughs> people are kind of chuckling a little bit, but nobody was shocked, right? When they said, Hey, we're you know, who we have a hundred thousand dollar match, you know, and we need to yeah. raise a hundred thousand dollars in the next five minutes from everybody in this room to to match this donor, that stuff is, it works. It really, really does. So, you know, I appreciate mm-hmm. the fact that you're telling folks that, cause I think people, they tend to edit themselves down, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, well, you know, maybe we should just put donation cards on the table. You yeah, know, maybe, maybe we it. shouldn't be so forward. You know, maybe, right. maybe we're asking too much. We already sold them a table for a thousand dollars and that's a mm-hmm. lot of money, but Hey, one person at that table bought the thousand dollar table. The other nine haven't spent any money yet. Right. Right. So. Right. Yep. 
That is so true. I mean, and do you have money in the room? Like we work events with organizations that have been doing this year after year after year, and you have the same people in a room every year. So mm. if you know you didn't have money in the room last year and you have the same people, you still don't have money in the room. Then find mm-hmm. some new donors to I come to your event. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you're an auctioneer, and so I think yeah. part of this is a conversation you have with your clients up front, right? Saying, exactly. Who who's coming, right? Right. Uh, here's the other thing I think, Tiffany. It'd be interesting, like when when we have people buy tables or do the sponsorships, we like to coach them also on like these are the types of people you should bring, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, it's funny because like don't just bring your friends or your family because they're your friends and family. If mm-hmm. you know. Your brother-in-law is cheap. Leave him at home. (laughs) Right? Tell him to bid online. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Keep him in the silent auction, right? I mean, mean, do you you have some clients that that need to understand that? Like they need to figure out how do you you get that message across to their key donors, their key supporters of, hey, Mm -hmm. I want you to buy a table and I want you to bring people that are going to be willing to support us. I need you to put those people at your table. Yeah. I think the way it translates to my audience is that you got to know your donor Mm -hmm. and you got to know like how they give um, and what motivates them to give. And uh, for a lot of my people, they don't know their donors yet. So Mm -hmm. like this is a way to like build their list. So they're still trying, they're figuring that out. Right. But it is important for them to go beyond just their friends and family. Like that's an important piece of it. Absolutely. When you're raising money. But then who are the other people in your local community, business owners, people who are associated with grant funders who have an interest in your mission? There's some kind of alignment there who would be who would love to hear about what you're doing. But I think a lot of people are fearful because of the ask. They feel like they're begging or they feel like they're doing it begrudgingly. Right. Oh, it's tough right now. The economy is sinking. Why would we ask for money right now? We're begging. And it's they forget that people want to give. Mm-hmm. They forget that it's a joyful thing for a lot of people and you're denying them that opportunity by doing that. So it also just it involves like getting out of your comfort zone and being able and comfortable to extend out to other people. Man, we needed you on a podcast out. during COVID for we, sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know how many people we had to give that same speech to? Yeah. Yeah. And do not deny your donor the opportunity to give. Let them say no. Yeah. Do not exactly. assume. Exactly. Exactly. My dad just told me today, this is kind of random, but he was like, I just was feeling good today. So I saw a little boy in the store and I bought him a toy just because I wanted to. And the mom didn't look like she needed it. It's just, but I did that because it made me feel good. And people forget that that's why a lot of people give because it makes them feel good. It's really not all about like you. They're not even thinking about you. They're thinking about how it feels for them to do that. So. That is absolutely true. And, and, it, and to your point, I mean, why would you want to deny someone that opportunity to feel good? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's, <clears throat> no, look, you know, we spend a lot of time in events, but just kind of going back to, you know, kind of what it, what you're helping people do to get off the ground. So mm-hmm. they've got their organization kind of going, you've helped them build a budget. Now maybe they're bringing in some funds from the grant or the event that they're running and then from an ongoing standpoint, are you helping them like develop a board or kind of develop mm-hmm. an operational plan? Like what what else are you doing to help these folks kind of get off the ground? So I have like with my coaching clients, I have like a whole assessment that covers different areas. And mm-hmm. I think like to your point, a big part of that is the board. And that's what 
most startups struggle with. I would say probably most nonprofits struggle with their board. Because they fill it with their friends and family or what? Because they fill it with their friends and family. Uh Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) that's exactly Exactly. right. Um, And they don't make the expectations clear. So their friends and family are there because either they need names for the paperwork or they just asked randomly one day and they say, sure, I'll help you out. I'll be on the board. But they don't realize that they need to help fundraise that they are ethically and legally responsible for the organization. Their name has to go on paperwork. They Mm -hmm. don't understand all of that. And then they don't step into their roles well when they don't know their roles. Right. And then people get frustrated with their family and their friends because they think that their family and friends don't care enough about their mission and it offends them. (laughs) So it's a mess when you do do that. So it, it is important to build a board and it takes time but build a board that can help you expand your overall network so you can attract the right people to your organization, yeah. but also attract fresh and new ideas and perspectives as well and hold each other accountable for your startup journey and hold the founder accountable. And I don't think a lot of people want to hear this, but you know, the founder is not always right. And it's not about <laughs> the founder. It's about the mission. Blasphemy, Tiffany. Blasphemy. (laughs) The founder is a visionary. They have a lot of ideas. Some of them are good. Some of them are not so much. (laughs) Yeah. So that's important. That's really, really important for you. Yes. You have have to kind of understand how these organizations work. I mean, to your point, and, you know, when we started PwCA Colorado, we, it was filled with friends and family. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. there's some other Prader-Willi parents that were on it, but. But honestly, for us, like we go in and we got we we hired you, not 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 you specifically, but we hired mm-hmm. someone exactly like you in Denver, and they came in and they're helping us with a little bit of an event strategy, a lot of grant consulting. Mm-hmm. But the funny thing was, is he said, "Man, we have got to change your board." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Why?" He's like, "Because your board's like Thanksgiving dinner. Like, I mean, get the uncle off the board. <laughs> I mean, you guys are yelling at each other, like, talking about stuff, distracting yourself, talking about cousins that aren't on the board. Like, you, you've yeah. got to like, we got to fix this, and we need some diversity okay. on your board, diversity of mm-hmm. opinion, diversity of race, diversity of yeah. gender, diversity of skill set. Yep. And he was hundred percent right. Mm-hmm. And and then look it. There wasn't one founder that was like kind of throwing everything, you know, mm-hmm. out at everybody else. But it was just he was right. I mean, it was one of those things where you've got a you got to branch beyond kind of where you start. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, originally in a lot of cases, you just recruit people that do work. Right. 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 Like I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to put you on the board because you're going to run my event or you're going right. to get all my auction items or you know whatever. But you need you need a, you need legal help, right? Mm-hmm. You need someone who understands how to read a balance sheet and income yeah, statement. Finances, like, yeah, finances, yeah. Yeah, you need somebody who's got a little bit of a sales background that can help with fundraising a little bit. So mm-hmm. I 100% agree. And it's funny because I have, I've been involved in a lot of nonprofit startups, like in, in several, and it's funny because at some point, that comment has been made to every single nonprofit I've been on. Yep. <laughs> yes. Oh, I know. <laughs> you don't have to tell me. I know. I was a board member for 13 years, and it was funny because we're 13 years into this. And, you know, when we started, I think our organization, we ran one event, raised 50 grand. Okay. Mm, hey, not a bad start. Not bad. Then I think next year we raised 100 grand, right? And so we're kind of on Even the better. So 13 years later, we're raising three or $4 million. Okay. Wow. So yeah. we're doing great. 
And this guy comes in, he's like, you guys need like a board succession plan. Like we hired a consultant and he, I was like, well, what, what do you mean? He's like, you guys going to be on the board forever? Like, honestly, mm, like you need yeah. to figure out like at some point, like it's going to look better to donors if you have people rotating in and off the board. He's like, so for the next three or four years, there's like nine of us. I need three people to leave every year. Do we have volunteers? Mm. I was like, whoop, whoop, right here. <laughs> like, I've been on 13 years. I'm ready to get off. <laughs> but mm-hmm. so that's, that is definitely something I think that a lot of nonprofits need to hear. So I appreciate that the fact that you're telling them that. Yeah, I think a lot for the people that I work with, a lot of it is fear too. Like this is their baby. This is their idea. And the more you bring in what they consider outsiders or people they may not trust with the mission, it scares them. Mm -hmm. So they keep it close to their chest so it can, you know, they can maintain the identity of what they want. But they don't realize that sometimes the organization needs to morph. It needs to change and evolve. And it's really okay to start with family and friends, but you got to move on at some point because sometimes that's all you have. Right. And you got to start with what you have, but you have to recognize the importance of evolving. So let's let's talk about another touchy subject with nonprofits besides <laughs> their boards, which tends to be technology and tools. So do you advise mm-hmm. at all on how they need to be building a website or donation management tools they should be using or <clears throat> mobile bidding tools, perhaps? <laughs> <laughs> I love technology. I stand technology. So like... I think this is one of the superpowers that smaller organizations and startup organizations can have that they can leverage over more established nonprofits because I think that nonprofits that have been around for a long time get stuck in a way of doing things. They can't be as nimble, try new technology, or there's a lot of bureaucracy or Mm -hmm. levels you got to go through to be able to do things new. So one of the advantages of being small and new is that you can try technology and it can really work for you. So I always tell people to use technology, like use a donation platform, use the the auction bidding software that's available to you. Use it all because it'll make your life easier and it'll make it more efficient. And you need time right now. Like you have right. to buy time and you can buy time by using technology because a lot of the people I work with have families, they have mm-hmm. full-time jobs and they don't have time to be writing stuff down by hand yeah. <laughs> or putting stuff in spreadsheets like one by one. Use an email marketing system. Get your message out there. Use social media. It's free. Right. Like, I'm, you know, I try to tell people to do all that kind of things because those things because you can leverage and seem bigger than you are when you're using right. technology like that. No, that makes total sense. And, you know, for us, I'll just go back to 2004 or 5 timeframe when we're starting our charities mm-hmm. and imagine the tools that were available to small nonprofits back then. They were almost none. Okay. But with a tech background and a very, very, very tech savvy wife, we were able to kind of put some stuff together. And we, and I remember I found this open source CRM called Civi CRM. It's still around and it was free. (laughs) I'm like, cause you know, we went where where everybody else went. We went to like Blackbot or one of them and Mm -hmm. Razor's Edge and said, Hey, we're looking to, we need some sort of like website that I can take a donation on and get it into a database. And I said, I think they said, well, our costs start around $30,000 mm. to get started with us. I'm like, 
well, <laughs> no, that's not. We don't even have a thousand bucks in the yeah, bank, so this right. is not going to work, yeah. right? And so we had to kind of cobble those things together. It's very different today, very right? different. which is awesome because you do need to start with something. Because I don't know how we raised the money we raised with what we had had we not had the technology. Absolutely. Right. And we didn't even do the auction stuff until 2011. So from 2005 through 2010, we were doing all that on paper and that, that was brutal, Mm -hmm. but, but at least, you know, we could put up a spot where people could buy a ticket or they could make a donation online because Mm -hmm. I I don't honestly know how we get that money because we, for the foundation for product early research, we were running events all over the country. And how do you get that money into one spot? So tools are not just a time saver. I mean, I think they also are a fundraising accelerator in a lot of ways. So, and we finally got off of Civi CRM. I'll tell you, like two or three years ago, we moved over to Bloomerang. It's been awesome. But it was like, (laughs) yeah, I'm just telling like. COVID like exploded that industry, like out of nowhere, you just started seeing so many like different options for nonprofits. It's so much available right now that if you're not leveraging it, like you're missing out. Well, and I think also as a, for, for certain elements of things that you buy, I think cost is definitely a consideration. So, you know, look, I mean, use TechSoup, get a discount on, you know, Microsoft Office or whatever it is that you can secure a donation on. But when it comes to the fundraising side, you know, what we, you know, obviously, and we play more on that space, right? It's, it's different, right? It's not just about the cost. It's about the opportunity that those tools will give you. So to us, you know, it's, it's less of a conversation around what does it cost and more about what kind of money will this help me generate? It's a return on an investment conversation. But I think a lot of charities, when they are just looking at their budget, they don't, they don't see it that way all the time. They only focus on the cost. Yeah. That makes yeah. a lot of sense because when you're doing events, like you have a moment to leverage. And so you want to use that opportunity as much as you can. And like you said, technology can accelerate that, your potential for making money, right? Well, could. You could either yeah. like lose out if you don't have that in, in place. That makes sense. Yeah. Like I used to say, I don't know if this is always appropriate, but I think there's two. Th- well, I'm going to say three things because Inga's in the room. There are three things <laughs> at an event that will help you raise more money that cost money, right? Do you know what they are? What three costs at an event do you think actually will generate more revenue? Technology. Okay. So mobile bidding software. I agree. Yeah. Okay. What else? Yeah. Uh, professional staff. The auctioneer. Come on, Inga, you're in the room. <laughs> I mean. She's an auctioneer. I am the an auctioneer. auctioneer. Yeah. I, I 100% believe that that qualified, trained, skilled benefit auctioneers help you raise more money. And the liquor. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and the open bar. <laughs> and the open bar. Look, trust me, I don't think anybody donates anymore whether it's chicken no. or steak on the plate. No. Right? I don't. But, no. But... You put out paper bid sheets, you're going to make less money. And when people come to us like, well, you know, now the COVID's over, we're thinking about going back to paper. I'm like, you'll just make less money. Yeah. I mean, you just flat out will make less money because people, you're now forcing people to walk physically somewhere and write their stuff down. So I get it. People don't always agree with me, but the data has proven that that's the case. And I don't know. We can have another hour just to, uh, the benefits of the open bar. I have not done a, a, scientific analysis of the dry event versus the wet event. But I have. 
<laughs> but I've, Personally, I've, I have. <laughs> I've seen a lot of tickets come into Handbid from sobered up people on a Sunday asking <laughs> if they're allowed to refund their $20,000 paddle raise. Well, I got to talk to your charity about that. That is true. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. That's hilarious. All the questions about the invoices on a Sunday morning. <laughs> so that's uh, so. Anyway, Tiffany, we don't want to take up um, all of your day, but I do have one final kind of question for you, and that's: mm-hmm. Is there a spot where you feel like you kind of kick them out of the nest and you're done, or are these clients sticking with you long term, or what? That's a good question. No one's ever asked me that before. And how do you know when they're ready to well, leave Sometimes she probably wants to kick them out of this. <laughs> when is, when is a baby bird ready to fly? How do you know? You guys are ready. Go. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Probably at the point when they're ready to hire. And probably one of those first hires, serious hires, needs to be like a development person. Mm-hmm. Like once they're able to get that going, then they probably don't need me. And they need like a different consultant that could be more intense with them. I really focus on building the foundation so you can be prepared to hire and be prepared to scale. So probably, and if I were to put it in numbers, maybe once they hit that six-figure mark too, like I try to get them there and then they need to, you know, start investing in somebody too. So You really yeah. are the incubator, right? I mean, you really yeah. are. Like you're, you're the one that's getting them from like birth to like some sort of like self-sustainable condition. And that's awesome mm-hmm. because there's there's a lot to be done in that stage of a nonprofit. Yeah. There's a lot you can miss too. Yeah, sure. There's, there's a huge learning curve and there's not a lot of good information. At least when I started, there wasn't a lot of good information about how to start literally from the ground up, right? And then everything around nonprofits and fundraising talked up here when I would like research it. And I'm like, well, I'm in this point and I don't know if this applies to me. And you're afraid to ask questions because you look unqualified when you ask certain questions. But the reality is most people don't know the answers to the questions, even if they already have a nonprofit. So I wanted to make a comfortable space where people could, they could learn and they could be free, like to learn with no judgment. No, I think that is awesome because otherwise you learn, you learn. Everybody's going to eventually learn. Sometimes you learn the easy way or the hard way. But, um, you know, for us, I mean, without hiring Marty and Cheryl, we we wouldn't have known half the stuff that we needed to be doing. Um, We would not have known that our board was, well, we probably should have known our board was dysfunctional. (laughs) (laughs) At least no one was telling us that. But, you know, outside of that, like even like just even at FPWR, when we would start to try to figure things out and how do we want to, you know, do our accounting and everything else. We'd always be like, well, like, what does JDRF do? Let's go look at their finance. Oh, they do it that way. Let's do it that way. Like, you, you, everybody's always looking for a model, right, or advice. And so I think it's it's fantastic that you're providing that for these folks because, you know, you, I guess you could always pick the bad model, and, and, and we luckily didn't. But, you know, in a lot of cases, I mean, I think it's it's great to have somebody like you that comes alongside and just kind of, you know, fills in those gaps and kind of also just steers them in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. It's an honor to be in that position. It's fun too to see people get to that level. All right. So, a uh, c- couple questions for you to wrap up. First of all, boss on a budget, is this something that's kind of limited to the DC Baltimore area or do you have clients beyond that region? I have clients nationwide and nationwide. people find me from all across the world. So, I'm all I love over. it. How many languages do you speak, Tiffany? <laughs> One. <laughs> That's easy. One. 
That's awesome. And then if someone wants to reach out to you and get a hold of you, obviously we'll have some of this in our show notes, but how can they reach you? So you can find me on YouTube. You just put in Boston a budget. I actually go live every Sunday night. So you can see me there. And you can also visit me on my website, bossonabudget.com. And I am building a new community. It'll be like a different kind of like launch community for founders, whether they're for-profit or non-profit. So I'll be sharing information about that on my YouTube channel. That's wow. awesome. Okay. <laughs> That's amazing. So you guys heard it here, Boss on a Budget. Check her out on YouTube. Tiffany, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today. Thank and you. thank you so much for... Um, I would just say for for the service that you're providing so many nonprofits that so desperately need it. So um, you're a true hero in our space. We appreciate that. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's wrap up this episode of Elevate Your Event. Inga, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much, Tiffany. So nice to meet you. You too. Yeah. And we wish you guys all the uh, best in your fundraising. If you guys are with us for the first time, um, you can check us out on YouTube, um, Apple, Spotify, anywhere else you might be listening to your podcast, leave us a five-star review. Um, And if you have any other questions or there's other topics that you think we should be covering on a future episode, uh, definitely click on that subscribe button and then shoot us an email and we'll take it into account. So until then, happy fundraising. Happy fundraising.